All right, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for another beautiful day, another day of life. Lord, it's the day that you've made, and um, we have a choice, and we choose to rejoice and be glad in this day, Father, that you've made. Father, we understand that you're, you're a, a God, a Father, a Creator of tremendous purpose. Uh, Lord, there's nothing random, accidental, incidental, coincidental about you. And um, so, Lord, because this is the day that you've made, um, it's a day of purpose, and we thank you, Father, for helping us fulfill your purpose for our lives in this day. And Father, I thank you for what you have prepared for us tonight. Lord, thank you for these beautiful men and women. Father, thank you not just for their individual lives, but for the families that they represent. But also, Father, for all of the people that these men and women are going to impact for your glory in the future. Already taking place for a lot of them, but also, Lord, what you have prepared in the store for them. Lord, so my simple prayer tonight is that you Help me help you help them, and Lord, that we would all move forward uh, in your plans and purposes for our lives. And Father, it's, it's our desire that, um, that your purposes prosper in our hands, and through our fellowship, and through the oneness that exists in this room. And so Father, I pray for that one that's here tonight that may be a little frustrated. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that's, that's just, amen, they're they putting their best face and best foot forward, but there's just a lot going on inside of them. I thank you, Father, tonight for just an assurance, a confidence, uh, a Lord, a peace that only comes from you, Lord, to be imparted into them now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. We looked at this verse last week, but we'll begin here just for a brief review and then uh, make a run at some things. Um, We've uh, covered spirit, soul, and body. We'll, we're not through with that uh, by any means. Um, but I wanted to at least explain enough about spirit, soul, and body to you uh, to provide a foundation um, to then uh, teach from concerning the new birth. Concerning the new birth. Now, we said last week that um, our problems... Uh, were, you know, behavioral in nature. In other words, we, we were doing things that, sinful things that we shouldn't do, but our problem was deeper than sin, right? Deeper than our behavior, or we could say deeper than our flesh. And then we, we've also looked, and we'll look at it more in the classes that we have uh, left, that, you know, as a, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. My ways are not your ways, God says in Isaiah 55, because... Our thoughts aren't His thoughts. So there's, a, there's a, a biblical connection all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, where we see that, that how we think um, is, is you know, uh, a determining factor in, in what we do. So you can't just change behavior without changing the thinking that, that is you know, driving that, uh, that behavior. But again, um, our problem, that from which Jesus came to rescue us, was more than our sinful behavior, more than our wrong thinking. Because what we saw last week is, and we'll look at it again uh, tonight, is that we were born from a corrupted seed that produced within us a corrupted nature. And if anything is ever going to change uh, for good about us, it's going to have to reach that level of our existence. In other words, Jesus said what? You must be born again. Now, in 1 Peter 1 and 23, it says this, Having been born again, 
having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. I told you last week, I'll tell you again this week, and I'll probably tell you just about every week that we have remaining, okay? One of the great problems we have in the body of Christ is people who have been born again do not consider that experience to be literal. In other words, they, they, they say, well, you know, I got saved. And in, in, I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, but in, in the very near future, we're going to explain what getting saved and, 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 and how, what that has to do with the new birth or being born again. Okay? They're, they're connected to one another, but they're not identically saved. They're not, they're not identically the same. Right? So just I'm interchanging those terms for a purpose. We're leading up, building up to something. But to be saved means we were rescued. If, if, if we were saved from drowning, it means somebody pulled us out of a, a lake or the ocean or, or something, right? Bathtub, whatever, you know. Uh, so we, to be saved means that we were rescued from something that was destroying us or, or about to, to end us, okay? So to be saved by Jesus, for Jesus to be your Savior, you know, what did He save us from? Sin? Yeah. Um, is he here to help us with our thinking? Absolutely. But he also ultimately came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam. So again, there's a lot of folks who've been born again, but they do not consider the new birth or, or the salvation they received and the new birth that came from that to be literal when it is absolutely positively literal. And we looked at the conversation again that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John the third chapter. And Nicodemus had that same issue. You know, how can a man when he's full grown go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? So he's thinking it's either got to be figurative or it's got to be physical. It's neither figurative or physical, it's spiritual. Jesus said you've got to be born of water, that's the physical birth, and the spirit in order to enter into the kingdom. He then went on to say what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. So when we were born again, it was a literal experience, but it was not our body, our flesh that was born again. It was not our soul, our mind, emotions, and will that was born again. It was our spirit that was born a second time from a different seed. A second time from a different seed because seed determines nature. The nature of a thing, the essence of a thing for what it really and truly is, determined by the seed that produces it. The only way to change, again, I don't know if we'll go back through much of this more tonight, but... The only way to change an orange into an apple is to go all the way back to the seed that originally produced it. You can't just make an orange an apple. You can make an orange look like an apple. And for that matter, you can make an apple look like an orange. But if you break them open, the essence of, of what you know, um, made them right is, is the seed. And so it can look like an apple, but inwardly it would still be an orange. Also, we didn't get to this part last week. But what's inside both of these? Seed, right? So it's not just that this was produced from a seed, but the seed that produced it is inside of it. And the same is true with the orange. And the same is true with you if you've been born again. Not only have you been born a second time from the incorruptible seed of God's Word which lives and abides forever, but the Bible now says that the seed of His life abides in you. The seed of His life abides in you. So we see that we were born of the corrupted seed of Adam the first time, and that corrupted seed brought death to our inward man. 
Jesus came that we might have life. Not bios, zoe. And that zoe came through the new birth, right? Where we were literally born spiritually, literally born spiritually a second time from a different seed. Now, don't panic. Don't get frustrated. Either Whatever side of, of, of this argument or debate you may land on, just hear me out, okay? People ask me all the time, Pastor Mark, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Well, I want you to answer that question for yourself after I show you what the Bible says. But this is, this is how I express that. Um, I don't say once saved, always saved. I say once born, always born. Okay? Once born, always born. You can be born and die, but you can't be born and then unborn. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying here? So again, if we would only understand that the new birth is literal, not figurative, that we were literally born a second time from a different seed, and the only way, right, uh, uh, to reverse that would to be born, a, would to be, would to be born, would to be born a third time. I've never said it that way, right? Need to practice that in the mirror, I guess. But anyway, and of course we know that that's that's not happening. Uh, period. All right, so. Um, Let's, uh, let's talk for a minute about this incorruptible seed. A seed that is incorruptible is one that is not capable of being corrupted, nor is the fruit that it produces capable of being corrupted. Right? Now, um, if you know anything about farming, and I know probably just enough to be dangerous, my grandfather's and my father, uh, both planted gardens, some of them fairly large. And um, some of the last things that I planted were, were squash. And you plant squash in hills, H-I-L-L-S, meaning you mound up a little dirt. And in that hill of squash, you put three seeds. Now, I just knew that that's what you were supposed to do, but finally, I guess in my 30s, I got around to asking my dad why we put three seeds in, in, instead of just one. And the answer is very simple. Um, you put three because, number one, uh, they may not all come up, but if they do all come up, at some point you're going to eliminate the two weakest plants because not all seed is incorruptible. So any farmer knows that there are some seed that they plant that could be, for lack of a better word, a dud that doesn't produce for whatever reason. Okay, But when we're talking about God's seed, the seed of His Word, capital S, we're talking about a seed that produces every time. We're not, there are no duds, amen. Every single time it produces its result. And then also we see because it is a seed incapable of being corrupted, and every fruit that it produces, your born-again spirit, also contains within it that incorruptible seed. The fruit that it produces cannot be corrupted, Right? In other words, if, and it, it happens, okay, but uh, it's happened before. I've done this for years, the apple and the orange. And if, if nobody ever eats these, okay, and they sit on my desk, they'll eventually begin to shrivel up, and they'll eventually, eventually begin to decay, okay? And, and that's because the seed that produced it was corrupted, meaning the fruit that it produces will eventually decay and become corrupt. Right? But what if, what if there was a seed that could produce an apple that, that would never 
get old or would never lose its taste or its shape. You say, well, Pastor, that's, 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 there's no such thing as that. Well, you hadn't been to heaven yet. All right? Okay. But again, if this apple was an apple that would, would never, ever be corrupted, then it goes, I think, uh, without saying that the seed that's in it would also produce an apple that would never be corrupted. The, the seed in this apple, I don't know, Pam, do you remember? This is a honey crisp, okay? The seed in this apple is not going to produce a red delicious, right? It's going to produce after its own kind. It's going to reproduce honey crisp, crisp apples, okay? And uh, I don't know what kind of orange this is. I guess navel, belly button orange anyway. But it's going to do, it's not going to produce a tangerine or a pineapple, right? It's going to produce after its kind. Yes, my brother Charles. It's eternal, yes, sir, absolutely. And, and, and most specifically, the born-again spirit that his seed produced in you, uh, that, that is now the real you, okay? This new creation that, that was born in us when we were born again, it was born from a seed that cannot be corrupted, meaning it's now a spirit that within us that cannot be corrupted. I don't have the verse right in front of me. I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. Um, but we looked at it already in 1 John where it says, because His seed abides in you, you cannot sin. Not that you don't sin or choose not to sin, but that you literally can't. That's not talking about your body. It's not talking about your mind. It's talking about your spirit. Okay? Because it was born of a seed that cannot be corrupted. All right? We might say it this way. Anybody ever use the expression bulletproof? Bulletproof? Um, Richard Presswood, a good friend of mine, you know, if, if he really believes, he's been in the car business for many, many years, and you ever want to know about what's a good car to buy and what have you, you know, I always ask him before I make any of those moves. And, and um, if, you know, the, the highest thing he can ever say about a car is he's a market's bulletproof. In other words, it's a good car, right? It, it's going to last you a long time, what have you. But in this case, we're talking about a seed that produces a born again spirit that is bulletproof, okay? One translation, I love it, because seed determines nature, or we could say heredity. And, and uh, this translation says that uh, it produces an indestructible heredity. An indestructible heredity produced from an incorruptible seed. Right? So, um, we were all born of corrupted seed. Um, if you have received salvation and you have been born again uh, from an incorruptible, uh, you've been born again from, and that's poor English there, I apologize for the D, you've been born again from an incorruptible seed which lives forever. And as I've already said, incorruptible means not capable of being corrupted. And here's the verse, First um, John 3 and 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his, capital H, his seed remains in that person who's been born again, and he, notice this word, cannot sin. Why? Because he has been born of God. So, we were born again, his seed now remains in us, and at that level, uh, we, amen, <laughs> cannot sin. Everybody's kind of looking up, what? He's not talking about me. Yes, if you've been born again. I didn't, I didn't make this up now. Come on now. You know, we talk about amazing grace all the time. I think some folks ought to change their hymnal to say rational grace. Right? Because the minute the grace of God gets beyond what we think is, is, is rational, we just, you know, shut it off. 
Amen. We're talking about what happened to us when we were born again. Praise God. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me, please. Ephesians chapter 2. I believe that we looked at this um, uh, last week as well, but again, just by way of review. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Please don't read it now, but let me go ahead and tell you, Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most, especially the first half of that chapter, is one of the greatest uh, explanations of, of our salvation as exists anywhere in the Word of God and, and therefore on planet Earth. Yes, Miss Crystal. Okay. It's a little bit off of it, but it's not. Okay. It's I'll be the judge of that. No, I'm kidding. Come on with it. <laughs> Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 Right. Okay, so I understand the awkwardness of your question, and so I'm I'm gonna take it easy on you, okay? But but how I feel about it really doesn't matter, okay? What we need is what does the Bible say about it. And I know you know that. I'm just pointing that out for everybody. So for those of you who are listening at home or on the internet and couldn't hear the question, she's, you know, we get born again. The Bible talks about baptism in water, and then it also talks about baptism in the Holy Ghost. Some people say if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Ghost in you. Anybody who would say that obviously has not read the Bible, okay? Because we can't call Jesus Lord uh, but by the Holy Spirit of God. And when we're born again, God's Spirit and our newly born again Spirit become one Spirit. Okay? The outward act of water baptism is an outward expression of something that's already taken place inwardly. And what's taken place inwardly is we were buried with Christ and then we were raised up together with Him to newness of life. That happened to you inwardly when you were saved. So we're saying to a group of people, when we are submerged in water and then brought back up out of that water, it's an outward expression that we have been baptized, buried, and raised up together with Him. Now, Jesus came to do two things for us according to the greatest prophet born of a woman who also is John the Baptist. Jesus came to take away our sins, not forgive them, but remove them, okay? And to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, right? So, anyone who would say you don't have the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues hasn't read the Bible. It's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Um, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate and subsequent work to God's work in our lives at salvation. The Bible clearly teaches this. Again, if we just simply read the book of Acts, we see all kinds of people who had been saved, who had been baptized in water, but who had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit until... Someone explained it to them, and they said, sign me up, right? Where do, where, where do I receive this great gift that's being offered? Now, I like to say it this way. When an individual is baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not so much that that person receives more of the Holy Spirit, it's that the Holy Spirit receives more of that person. It's a greater measure of surrender to what the Holy Spirit was given to you in the first place to do in your life. Okay, So it's, it's, a, it's a measure of surrender. And when we talked about the words of our mouth and the power of the tongue, we talked in greater detail about that. I know some of you weren't here uh, or able to attend those classes. But the initial 
again, back to the outward expression of the inward reality. The initial outward evidence or expression of the inward reality of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that that individual speaks in an unknown tongue. Okay? And um, it's kind of like you can get to Albuquerque um, on foot, you can get to Albuquerque on bicycle, you can get to Albuquerque on a motorcycle, you can get to Albuquerque in a car, or you can get to Albuquerque in a jet aeroplane, right? Amen. And, and so this idea that we can't get to heaven unless we speak in tongues is ridiculous, right? But why would we rather hitchhike when we can go on an aeroplane, right? In other words, the idea is that, that these are things that Father God saw very fit you know, for us to have seeing that we were going to need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us and equip us with gifts and things. Um, so, amen. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be. Today. Okay? It's, amen. So, um, amen. Yes, sister. Yes. Okay, so yes and no. Yes and no. She, the question again was, so we have the seed of God in us now. Do we still have the seed of Adam in us, uh, it, you know, corrupting the other two parts? It's not that that seed is in us. I can't wait to get to this part, and I'm just liable to get there right now, but let me just hold back, okay? Um, so the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, you died with Him. I died with Him, Okay? It's His substitutionary work. It means that He didn't just die for you, He died as you. He didn't just die in your place. When you died, when He died, you died with Him. Okay? And that's, there's a reason for that. Because this, this old dude that was born from Adam's seed needs to go. He needs to die a death. Right? And, and so when we died with Christ, that was when that old spirit that old nature that we had died and then we were buried with him okay so that old person that you were or we could say that old nature that you once had um it, it was buried with jesus in an unmarked grave amen so you know you don't go and visit that grave you don't go put flowers on that grave we don't know where that grave is that old person was buried with jesus in an unmarked grave when jesus came up out of that grave you came up out of that grave with Him. I'll show you all this in Scripture, okay? But you came up a new person. You came up to newness of life, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Bible says it this way, of your born-again spirit, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Uh, if any man's in Christ Jesus, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Not talking about the color of your hair. Not talking about the color of your eyes. Not talking about your mind there. He's talking about your spirit, okay? So, there are those who teach, and it's fingernails on a religious chalkboard for me, but there are those, it irritates me in other words, there are those who teach that we have two natures. You do not, you do not, you do not have two natures. The reason it seems like we have two natures is because the old dude left a mark on our soul. Your old uh, nature, or we could say your dead spirit, left an imprint on your mind. Okay? Now, he's gone. It's kind of like, um, like if I had put fruit punch in this before and then filled it up with clean water, okay? 
I might still have you know, a little fruit punch residue in there. Might still be a little bit of flavor, right? So some of us still have a little bit of flavoring left <laughs> from that old man, that old person that we were. But it's not who we are. It's not who we are. And that's why we're renewing or reconditioning our mind. We're learning how to think in agreement with the person we became instead of the person that we were before we were born again and became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I like to say it this way. I can say it so many times, say it in my sleep. Some Pam's probably hears me say this in my sleep at nights, right? Okay. But, you know, when we were born again, we became something and someone that we were not. Most people know more about the person they were instead of the person they became. Most people still think like the person they were instead of the person they became. So they still live like the person they used to be instead of the person that they became. That's why we got to renew the mind. Thank you, Sister Robert. There you go. Well, well said, Heather. She said, for those of you listening at home, she said that, that we still live in a corrupt, cursed world that has you know, influences on us. That's why the devil... Um, he knows, and you need to know, that um, he can still influence your life only to the extent he can influence your thinking. Only to the extent that he can influence your thinking. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, you're taking the words out of my mouth, um, but absolutely. He says, so since the law of Moses wasn't enough, it only could identify a problem that it was powerless to fix, and that's what the Bible says. It wasn't that God's laws were wrong then or that they're wrong now. There's nothing wrong with what God said, but the Bible says the weakness of that system was our flesh, right? Those laws couldn't fix us because of the problem of our flesh, and again, it, as Kim just uh, accurately said, the law was a standard on the outside of us that now you know, we're trying to live up to. We weren't created to live outside in. We were created to live inside out. That's why He went to the deepest level of your existence and recreated you there and put a seed of life in you that's incorruptible. So now we got a platform from which to work on our thinking, our emotions, our choices, and ultimately uh, bring our flesh into uh, submission and obedience to Christ. Amen. Amen. That's exciting stuff. Okay. Amen. Alright, so here we are, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We weren't just sick, we were dead. We were spiritually dead. Zoe was shut off. We were separated from it. Okay? In which, trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, notice the tense there, past tense, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's speaking of the devil and demonic spirits, the spirit, lowercase s, who now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. Let me keep reading. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others, just as everyone else was. So pay close attention to sons of disobedience. Pay close attention to were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. This is again referencing the corrupted seed from which we were born. We were born from a corrupted seed which made us not just disobedient children, but it made us the offspring of disobedience. Right? And that's not talking about some mistake your mom and daddy made. It's talking about a mistake that Adam and Eve made. 
We were offspring of their disobedience. And we were children of wrath. That means damnation. Again, children of wrath. We were born into or of damnation. Now, again, uh, verse 3, uh, I'll put it up on the screen. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. That's clearly speaking of the body. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's clearly referencing the soul. And were by nature clearly referencing the spirit. Were by nature children of wrath just as the others. All right. So we said last week the only way to change um, the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. So turn over just a few uh, pages to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. All right? Amen. We're almost done with the review. We're going to get to some new stuff, all right? But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We rushed this a little bit last week, and I want to make sure that you see these verses. If you, if you like to highlight or mark things in your Bible, these would be some really, really good ones to, to mark and highlight. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 is directly related to, connected with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 is where it says, Having been born again, not of corrupted seed, but of incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now we see in 2 Peter 1 and 4, um, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We've become what? A partaker. That word partaker there, it literally means to have an equal share in. To have an equal share in. So Father God has given you an equal share in His divine nature. How did we become a partaker of His divine nature? We were born from His incorruptible seed. We were born, again I should say, from His incorruptible seed. Right? Now, we spent a little bit of time on this last week. I just want to remind you once again that what we're talking about now, behavior cannot change it. You cannot be good enough to change your nature from sinner to saint. You, you can't pay enough money. You, you can't go to church enough. You, there's no good work that you can do to make yourself a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's only one way, and that's, that's to be born. Okay. Now, what we're about to get into now... Um, is extremely important. You know how I know? Because I wrote it right there in my margin. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's extremely important. And to be honest with you, it's one of those... Um, <clears throat> Jesus said it this way. We've been talking about this on Sunday. Um, we'll either step up on the chief cornerstone and, and build on it, or it'll be an obstacle that we stumble over. Alright? Now my prayer for all of us this evening, and those, again, present in the room, those listening, those may listen to this five years from today. Okay. My prayer for you is that you not stumble over this, but that you, you allow the Holy Spirit to help your heart seize hold of this. Okay? Seize hold of this. It was not 
your sin that made you a sinner. And it was not your good works that made you righteous. Okay? It was not your sin that made you a sinner. And it was not your good works that made you righteous. Now, are you a human being or are you a human doing? It's not a trick question. You are a human being. Who you be determines what you do. But the world believes that what you do determines who you be. The world says if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it must be a duck. But that doesn't line up with Scripture. Scripture says that you can look like a sinner, talk like a sinner, and act like a sinner. But inwardly, having just been born again of an incorruptible seed which lives and abides forever, be just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself. That's why we began 30 weeks ago now. From this point forward, we refuse to regard any person according to their flesh, according to their outward appearance, according to what we can sum up by just simply watching them or listening to them talk. Right? Because the outward part of us does not reveal, nor can it tell, the whole story of us inwardly in our hearts. That's why Jesus told us to not judge. To not judge. Right? So, when we talk about what we do versus who we are, but I don't even like who we are. I like who we be. Okay? We've got to recognize... See, like again, you know, um, who are you? People may say, I'm a preacher. I'm a plumber. I'm a... I'm a... Whatever. You see what I'm saying? Notice we, we even identify people based upon what they do. I'm an addict. See, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Who are you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for those of you who didn't hear it, Matt said, but shouldn't who you be influence what you do? Absolutely. Unless you still think like somebody you don't be anymore. See, that's the renewing of the mind, right? We still think like somebody that we're not. We're going to still struggle with living like somebody that we're not. And there's going to be a whole lot of... Listen, there's consequences to that. There's aggravation to that. There's frustration. You know, a lot of, the devil beats people's brains out in, in that situation. But absolutely. So again, notice the, the genius of Jesus and the genius of Brother Matt, right? What, what's, he's wanting us to live righteously. And so, you know, he's got two options, right? One will never work, but let's just, you know, for the sense, for the sake of talking, right, the, 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 the example. 
Um, Cody, if you will live perfectly righteously for five years, we'll call you righteous. Well, there's not a person in this room, myself included, live perfectly righteously for five years. We can never live up to it. Well, three years then. <laughs> you say, no, that? no. So what did he do? He just decided that he would give Cody the gift of righteousness at the deepest level of his existence and then begin to help him renew his mind to who he became as a gift, right? What he, what he was given as a gift by God, the gift of righteousness, received by faith in Jesus. And now the more Cody begins to see himself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the more he realizes that's who he be, it's going to be reflected in what he does, how he lives. Is this making sense? Yes, Mary Kay. So here's, here's the challenge, and it's a great question, and uh, you know, uh, Mary Catherine and I came out of our mother's wombs looking for each other, okay, so amen, y'all don't get, please don't get aggravated with her, okay, she, you know, she's asking great questions. Unfortunately, sister, you weren't here when we explained all of that, okay, so you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and all of that is contained within a physical body. You are a spirit, the real you, the real me, the real, the, it's not who I see sitting in the chair, it's who I know's inside of that glove that is your body, that spirit deep inside of you, and then you, you are a spirit, you possess a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and makes choices, your mind, emotions, and your will, and then your body is this outward part of you, your five senses, it's like a hand in a glove, okay? The Bible speaks of our salvation in three tenses, past tense, present tense, future tense, Whole denominational lines have been drawn over confusion about that. Some people say we have been. Some people say we are being. Some people say you never know until you get there and, and, and we'll find out then. Hopefully we will be. Okay, That's wrong. The spirit part of you, if you've believed in Jesus, has been saved. Your emotions, your mind, emotions, and will is a work in progress. That's a part that is being saved. And our bodies will one day be traded in for a glorified body that's already prepared for us in heaven. That's why he refers to this body as a tent. Amen. A temporary dwelling place. I'm actually looking at all of you through the windows of my tent. I'm looking out at you. This body is a tent. I'm inside this tent and I'm looking at you through the windows of this tent, also known as my eyes. Okay, So, the part of us that was born again where the seed of God's life dwells is our spirit. If, if we went to 1 John 2, he would say this, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. And then one chapter later he says this, and you're thinking, John, you're getting old. Do you not remember what you just wrote, right? Except for you'll never understand it until you understand spirit, soul, and body. If you say in your flesh you have no sin, you're not telling the truth, okay? Right? But in your spirit, that part of you, born that's where the seed of God's life dwells. Not only do you not sin at that level, you cannot sin at that level because it was born from an incorruptible seed which lives and abides forever, and it's bulletproof. Okay? Now, there are folks who don't... Well, there's, there's all kinds of folks all over the map. Some people believe this but won't preach it. Other people don't believe this. Okay? 
And, and, and both those who believe it and don't believe it, um, but those who don't believe it obviously don't preach it. Those who do believe it but don't preach it, don't preach it because they believe if I tell people that this is what it really is, they will use it as an excuse for sin. Okay, which is a lie. First of all, we've never needed an excuse to sin. Period. Okay, all right. But the reality of it is, when we fully understand this truth, it motivates us to purify our lives, even as Christ is pure. First John chapter three, verse three. Right. So the idea is the the revelation of this. Right. And, and what's really true about us and who we really are and whom the Son has set free is shown up free indeed, right? Amen. See, as our minds are renewed to this inward reality of the new birth, this is when we begin to live like free men and live like righteous women and live like uh, folks that can cast out devils and do the works that Jesus did because we can. Amen. So does that help? Okay, all right. Okay, you're welcome. Praise God. So... <clears throat> For instance, and if you have a Catholic background, I'm not trying to offend you, but no human being can make you a saint. And what we think of in terms of a saint are images and ideas that do not come from God, they come from religious traditions, and ultimately, they come from the enemy. Because we have in our minds that someone who is a saint is someone who's lived for Jesus 50 years, never did anything wrong, um, grandmotherly type, oh, my grandmother was a saint, right? So here's the bottom line, okay? You're either a saint or you ain't, okay? You've either been born again... And if you've been born again, you are a saint. Right? Are you hearing me? And if you have not been born again yet, then you're not a saint. The only way you can become a saint is to be born again. There's a lot of people who have become saints who aren't living like a saint yet, but that's again, we're a work in progress. Alright? Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the New Testament where it says to the saints at Rome? To the saints? In other words, this is written to born again believers. So this idea that you've got to be saved for a certain period of time, you've got to memorize so many Bible verses, you've got to have read the Bible at least through two times, you've got to be perfect attendance in Sunday school at least for one year, all these you know, criteria that religion establishes in order for someone to become a saint is ridiculous. We become saints the moment we are born again. So anything the Bible says about a saint is talking about you if you've been born again. Anything the Bible says about someone who is in Christ Jesus, it's talking about you, it's true about you right now if you've been born again. Now, when the Bible talks about a sinner, the very shallow understanding of this is, I commit sin, so therefore I'm a sinner. Wrong. Wrong. And you say, oh yes! I can almost feel some of you like... You know, it's like, you know, he better explain this quick because my arm's fixed to go up. No, just hear me. This is the part that I was warning you about that people struggle with, all right? I am not a sinner. I'm not saying that I don't commit sin. If I tell you I have no sin, the truth's not in me and I'm a liar. 
But when I tell you I am not a sinner, I'm not talking about what I do in my flesh. I'm talking about who I be in my spirit. Amen. So I am now a saint who occasionally sins. I used to be a sinner who sinned all the time. It was all I knew. I sinned by reason, of course. But something happened to me the day I was born again. A a, a new spirit came inside of me. And the Holy Spirit became one with this new spirit inside of me. I became a partaker of the divine nature of God. That's who I am. Amen. So when I say we were born sinners and we were born again saints or we were born sinners and we were born again righteous, I'm talking about that inward identity, the real you. So let's go back to it. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. I'm not saying that you haven't sinned. But when we talk about the identity of one who is a sinner. This is referring to someone who has not yet been born again. Who has not yet been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by having been born a second time from an incorruptible seed that produces within you the characteristic of righteousness. So it was not your sin that made you a sinner. And it was not your good works that made you righteous. I always want to change this to is. This is is not just me butchering the English language. Sometimes you have to butcher the English language to accommodate the truth from heaven. And this is one of those situations. It was not your good works. You would say, well, it's not your good works, Pastor Mark, because no, no, it was not your good works that made you righteous. It was Jesus' good works that made you righteous. He came and lived on this earth as a man without sin. He actually obeyed the law. He actually fulfilled the law. He actually did what no other human being could do. And because of that, He put every one of us in a very perilous situation. Because He took away from us any excuse we might have when we stand before God one day and say, God, this isn't fair because no man could ever do this. No, that's not true anymore. Because the man, a man, capital M, son of man, He did it. But thank God He didn't do it to condemn us. He did it to save us. And He gave you credit. Remember, you're now in Him. Right? He gave you credit for what He did as your substitute. So it was not your good works that made you righteous. Now, we'll we'll introduce some of this, look at some verses. Adam, original, is referred to in Scripture as the first Adam. One of the many names of Jesus is the last Adam. It's important. The first Adam was Adam, and he was the one from which we were all born. Now, if I could just real fast, and I'm pleased, matter of fact, I don't mean to be rude, I'm not going to answer questions about this, because I don't know, and I don't know how to answer it. There are folks who say things like, 
Pastor Mark seems like there were giants and there were other people getting other people pregnant and all these other things, right? God knows all about that. He didn't feel it necessary to tell us all about that. So I don't, I don't know all about that, okay? But here is what I do know. Every single one of them drowned in Noah's flood. And Noah's seed came from Adam. And we all came from Noah's seed. So we were all born of Adam's seed. Are you hearing me? Okay, all right. No? I have my theories, but it's not the time or the place for them, okay? So, Adam being the first Adam, he was the one whose seed became corrupted through sin, and we were all born from that corrupted seed. Now, Jesus comes as the fountainhead of a new race of people. And if you've been born a second time, you were born of His seed. So we are no longer in Adam, we are now in Christ. Alright? Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans, the fifth chapter. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Alright, I'm a... You get anything out of this so far? It just takes a minute to explain all of this. Yes. Yes, Matt. Nice and loud, brother, please. You mean every human being? No, brother. We're born into sin. Born in the corrupted seed of Adam. We're born in wrongousness. Is that the right? Is that a word? We, we... I'll show it to you in Scripture as we work our way through. Thank you, brother. Okay. Yes. Okay, so he's asking about babies and, and you know, what all that looks like. Let, let, me, let me just, let me try to say it this way, okay? There, yes, I believe in age of accountability and all those other things. But here, here, here is though, and listen, um, you know, my precious little grandson, all that, amen, you all know, amen. Just don't even get me started, okay? All right? Okay. But his mom and daddy aren't going to have to teach him to be selfish. They're going to have to teach him not to be. They're not going to have to teach him how to test the boundaries. They're going to have to set boundaries for him and enforce them. You see? Because, again, the Bible says it this way, that foolishness is in the heart of a child, right? And correction is what helps correct that and bring that out and, and fix it, okay? And, and so, you know, you, you look at that little feller, you know, grinning at me, laughing. We got this, I need to, should have showed you, we got this new video. Video of him, Bethany comes downstairs, he's sitting there in his little whatever swingy kind of thing, and I'm telling you, he has got both of his hands up in the air just like this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man, my little man's worshiping God. I'm just you. From the mouth of babes and sucklings, he has perfected praise. I got Bible on it, okay? Now, um, but, you know, amen. They're influenced by spirits. And, and obviously, you know, Jake and Bethany are raising him in, a, in, a, in righteousness. They're raising him in a home where there's peace and love and worship and the anointing and the Spirit of God and, and babies respond to that just like, 
in anybody else and anything else. But once he reaches that, that age of accountability where he is able to understand these things, he's going to need to be born again. Or just because he was born from two people who were saved doesn't mean he was born saved. You see. Because um, Father doesn't have any grandchildren. He's only got children. Amen. He's only got sons. And even if you're a female, you still got the same standing as the firstborn son. And that's just the way Father rolls. He doesn't play favorites. We're all his favorite. Amen. And so that's good. Amen. All right. So good questions here. Romans, the fifth chapter. I wish we had time. Maybe we will. I don't know. To start at chapter 1 in Romans, but we're going to start in chapter 5. The first part of chapter... Matter of fact, I'm just going to read this in famous last words. I'm not going to do a lot of commenting. and I'm not going to, put them on the, I'm not going to start putting them on the screen to verse 12. Verse 12 is our target. Verse 5, chapter 5 rather, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to it, but that word justified is, is a righteousness word. And it literally means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, he's saying that not only have we been born again and saved by grace, and because we were saved by grace, we have been made right with God in the eyes of God, just as if we had never sinned a single time. Okay? And that gives us peace with God. Let me say it this way. He's buried the hatchet. What did the angels sing when Jesus was born? Peace on earth. Okay? So the hatchet's been buried. The sin's, the sin's been paid for. What separated us from Him has been removed. And we've called upon Him. But it also, this expression... Um, we have access by faith into this grace. We think of access as, you know, I have access to the men's restroom, or I have access to this. No, 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 that's not. It means entree into. In other words, we have been permanently planted in the grace that saved us. Right? Because the same grace that saved us is the same grace that's keeping us, if you hadn't figured that out by now. Alright? So, we rejoice now in hope of the glory of God. In other words, our confident expectation is no longer a fearful looking for judgment, but it's a confident expectation of the glory of God continuing to be revealed in and through our lives. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. A lot of teaching right here. It's important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush through it, though. Because there are people who say that if we go through hard times that somehow God's mad at us or giving up on us or is judging us or whatever. Wrong, 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 wrong. The, the flipsis, that's, that's this word um, tribulation here, is talking about the pressure that comes, as Heather said earlier in the class, from the world around us, from the pressures, from the demonic activity and attacks and things of that nature. Okay? So there's pressure that's being applied to us, but because we are firmly planted in God's grace and have a confident expectation of the glory of God, we're going to endure. We're going to persevere. We're not going to stop short. We're not going to quit. We're not going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, negotiated into by our enemy to accept anything less than full victory. Come on now, are you hearing me? So it produces perseverance. And this perseverance builds character. Don't even get me started there. But character is what we need, right? And this kind of character produces hope, real hope, hope that does not disappoint. 
Here's a classic way, okay? Some of my brothers and sisters in here tonight from the foundry. You go home on pass. Out of nowhere, you're at a service station pumping gas for your grandmother. And uh, uh, somebody from your old life walks up to you and says, Good to see you, bro. And say, Well, dude, what's happening? What's shaking, mama? Whatever, you know what I'm saying. All right. And, uh, <clears throat> and they, they try to entice you uh, to go get drunk, to go get high. They got the stuff. They got the goods. They got the, they got the party barge. They, I don't know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay, so there's some pressure being applied. There's some pressure being applied. But you look them in the eye and you say, let me tell you what this big old tall gray-headed man told me about myself last Wednesday night. And you start telling them about Jesus. And, you, and they get real nervous. And they're like, okay, dude, yeah, man, you got religion. I got you, dude. Yeah, so, so they're out of there, right? Okay. So guess what just happened? You persevered through the pressure. You built some character. And you're going to take away from that experience some confident expectation that the next time you face some pressure, you're going to stand then too. You see how this works, right? Okay. All right, let me keep reading. Verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, couldn't save ourselves, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Oh, sweet Jesus, somebody needs to get excited right now, okay? Did you follow what He said? Much more than, not less, more. I preached it wrong for a lot of years. Holy Spirit has a way of correcting you, and I'm so thankful that He does. I used to preach that the greatest demonstration of God's love was on the cross. You used to talk about how He was demonstrating the love that He has for you. That's not entirely correct. The love that is demonstrated on the cross is the love that God the Father has for His enemies. Because when He died for us, we were all His enemies. Much more now, having been justified by His blood, having been made right with Him, having been made one with Him, having been made a new creation by Him, having been justified by His blood, how much more now shall we be saved, have been, shall be saved, from wrath through Him. That word wrath is eternal damnation. Speaking of being thrown in the lake of fire. In other words, if He loved you enough to die for you while you were still waving the middle finger of your life in His face, are we to really believe that He loves us less now that we've been washed in that blood that He shed for us when we were His enemies? It's not that He loves you less now. He loves you, if anything, more now. That was the love that He had for you while you were His enemy. How much more does He love you now that you're His son, that you're His child, that you're His daughter?
Let me keep reading here. Verse 10, for if when we were, are you paying attention to the text, or the, 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 not the context, the, the, um, the tense, the verb tense. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The work of salvation is what His death has done for us. And thank God for the power of His death. But if you think there was power in His death, brother, sister, you ain't seen nothing yet compared to the power that exists and resides now in His glorified life. And we're in Him. If His death brought us out of death, hell, and the grave, how much more now will His life sustain us and keep us And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation, again, we talked about this in the early days of these classes. I'm not trying to be corny, I'm trying to help you remember things, okay? Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Reconcile, reckons I'll be friends with them again. So, reconcile means to reestablish in a close relationship, in close fellowship. Reestablish, not establish. If, if a husband and a wife separate and then come back together, we say they reconciled. It means a relationship that previously existed and was divided has now been restored. It has now been renewed. They've reconciled. So, to reestablish a close relationship between. You say, when did I have a close relationship with God? You had it in Adam with God before Adam sinned. When Adam sinned and was separated from God, we were all in Him in seed form, and we were separated from God with Adam. I like to say it this way, when He stepped in it, we all stepped in it with Him. But now we're in Christ. We've been reconciled. We've been reestablished in a close relationship with our Creator Father, with His Son, and with His Holy Spirit. Now, Verse 12, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, who remembers what therefore means? In light of what we just read. Thank you, go start to Heather. In light of what we just read, based upon what was just told to you, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because a few more sinned, because all will sin, because all sinned. All sinned. Let me read it again. Therefore, just as through one man's sin into the world, and death through that one man's sin, this is speaking of Adam, right? And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. What are the wages of sin? What are the ultimate final consequences of sin? They're death. Death. Death means separation. Spiritual death is when your spirit separated from God's spirit. We lose the zoe, the life and nature of God. We only have bios, therefore we only have on this earth a temporal uh, existence. Okay? So death means separation. So sin brings separation. It was Adam's sin that separated us from God. That's why John 3 goes on to say, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to a world that was already condemned. He came 
to a condemned world so that the world that was already condemned could have a way of escape, could have a way of salvation. He goes on to say, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And if you haven't believed on Jesus, the wrath of God, the, the, the judgment for sin still abides on you. But if you are born again, the judgment of sin is not on you anymore. Jesus took that judgment upon Himself for you. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. You're going to have to just, Holy Spirit, help us. Amen? Let's keep reading. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Let's say it this way, all right? Make sure we get this straight. It's not that Jesus was like Adam, it's that Adam was like Jesus. Adam came first, but he was still a type of him who was to come, Jesus, right? Some people call Jesus the second Adam. I don't have a problem with that, I don't guess, but as long as you know, there's not a third. There's not, he's, he's second and last. All right. We got some splaining to do here, okay? The truth contained here is extremely important for us to understand. The title in my notes for this section of Scripture, and I'd like for you to write these words down, it's Sinless Sinners. Sinless sinners. Sinless, S-I-N-L-E-S-S, -S, sinless sinners. How can you be a sinless sinner? In the infinite wisdom of God, and as expressed through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, he brings us back to one of the more unique groups of people to have ever existed on planet earth. These are the people who lived on planet earth in between Adam and Moses. Come on now. In between Adam and Moses. Which means these people lived before the law of God came to the earth from God through Moses. Which means the only sin that they could have committed would have been to break the only law that had been given. And the only law that had been given was thou shalt not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is what it means when it says, they had not sinned according to the likeness, King James Version says similitude, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So we see then that Adam ate the fruit... He broke that commandment. He broke that law. 
but no one else after him broke that law. Now, stay with me. Because the Bible makes it very clear that where there is no law, there is no sin. There is no imputation, not amputation, imputation. Sin is not imputed. It's not accounted. I'm not saying that people didn't do wrong. There are places in this country, up north and, and um, out in the Midwest and out in the Northwest, wide open spaces, long straight roads that have no speed limit. The Audubon in Germany. There is no speed limit. This means you can pass a state trooper doing 115 miles an hour and he cannot write you, nor will he write you, a ticket for speeding. In order for you to be penalized for speeding, there has to be a posted speed limit. There has to be a law passed that says if you drive above this speed, we can punish you. We can penalize you. And on, on a road where there's no speed limit, there's no law given, which means there's no transgression to make. There's no sin to be imputed. Are you with me? So all of these people who lived between Adam and Moses, there was only one speed limit for them to, to break, and they never broke it. They never committed that same sin. But they all died anyway. They all died anyway. They all experienced the consequences of sin. Okay? So let's go at it again. Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Wait a second now. How, how is that? How did we all sin? The only answer, and that's what he's trying to highlight, emphasize here, is that we all sinned when Adam sinned. Do you understand why I'm telling you tonight, based upon what the Word of God teaches, it was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was Adam's sin that made you, made me a sinner. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Praise the name of the living God. All right, let me. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Death came through the seed. Right? Oh, where am I going to go next? Yes. That's correct. Well said. That's when it all broke loose, right? Okay. Yell a die in the eye though, right? Amen. Yes, sister. Well, that's what Kim was saying, that you know, Jesus went and preached to the righteous dead and set the captives free. 
right? So, amen. Yeah, ancient folks. Ancient folks. These are, these are old timers, man. You're talking about OG, man. These are, this is, this is o, o, OG, right? These are oogs. Oogs. Amen. All right. Let me, I don't, I didn't put them in my, it's just too good for us not to keep going, all right? So let's keep going. I'm going to try not to comment because there's other stuff we've got to get to tonight. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. Okay? Talk about the free gift of salvation, the free gift of righteousness. For if by the one man's offense, speaking of Adam's sin, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, not some men, not most men, to all men, resulting in condemnation for all men. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot of stuff there we'll come back to. I just wanted to bless you with that, alright? Now, we've got to understand the power of seed to understand these things in the way and in the depth that we need to understand them. Okay, so I'm going to try to do that before uh, we're finished uh, here tonight, okay? Every human being alive on planet Earth right now was in Adam when Adam sinned. They were in him in seed form. We've got to get this now. Right? One more time. Every human being alive on planet earth right now was in Adam when Adam sinned. In my notes, it's capital I, capital N, double underline. In Adam, when Adam sinned, we were in him in seed form. Therefore, when Adam sinned, we all sinned and at that point, we all became sinners. Now, the writer of Hebrews reveals the truth about seed this way. In clarifying the confusion over Jesus being our high priest and not yet being from the tribe, and, not, and yet not being from the tribe of Levi, the writer of Hebrews explained the superiority 
I know I'm sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher right now. Just stay with me. I'll make sense of this in a moment. Explaining the superiority of Melchizedek and his priesthood. He said that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Let me try to explain. All right. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is going after Hebrew people. Hebrew means Jewish. Hebrew people. Both Hebrew people who have been saved and Hebrew people who have not been. This is what separates, other than us not knowing who wrote the book of Hebrews for sure, this is what separates it from all the other epistles. All the other epistles are to the church, to the saints, to the church, to the saints. It's written to people who have already been born again. The letter of Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people, some of which had experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus, but now are at the point of their lives ending on planet earth, and they have yet to call upon Him and receive Him as their Savior. You'll never understand Hebrews if you don't understand that basic part about it. And he is systematically addressing some of the um, mental obstacles, arguments, if you will. For instance, you know, there was the whole confusion about angels. He talks about angels in that light. But the Messiah was to be the great and final high priest. And it was an obstacle for a lot of Jewish people that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah and not from the tribe of Levi. There were twelve tribes in Israel and all of the, all of the descendants of Levi were priests for the rest of the nation. That's why it's referred to as the Levitical, Levitical priesthood. L-E-V-I, Levitical priesthood, the book of Leviticus. Okay? So all the priests in Israel were descendants from Levi. So for many of them, they could not accept Jesus as being their priest, the Messiah, because the Messiah would be the great and final high priest. He came from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, and this was a huge obstacle for them. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is a priestly order that is greater than Levi. It's the order of Melchizedek, and Jesus is Melchizedek. He is of that priestly order. It is of, it is of a greater order than Levi, because the entire Levitical priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, this you think, whoa, hold on a second. How is that possible? Because Melchizedek was on the earth generations before, are you following what I'm saying? Levi was even born, much less all the descendants of Levi. So how in the world is this possible? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Don't you love His Word? Man, answers, answers, answers. Thank you, Father. Wisdom hidden not from us but for us. Amen. We, we're digging it out. Hebrews chapter 7, let's begin at verse number 9. Even Levi, 
who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So if you understand what happened, Abraham had went out to battle against um, this guy named Cheddarly Omar. I like to call him Bacon Cheddarly Omar. But anyway, amen. <laughs> anyway, and uh, <laughs> oh, don't get me started on this. Let me just cut to the chase. Abraham paid tithes, tenth of all that he had, to Melchizedek. And so in establishing that the priestly order of Melchizedek is greater than the priestly order of Levi, the writer of Hebrews points out that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, and he paid those tithes while he was still in Abraham, while he was still in the loins, in seed form, inside of Abraham. See, we don't understand seed the way God understands seed. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, Every descendant of Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek in that moment. Because they were in Abraham when he did it. Are you seeing this now? So we were in the loins. I know we're mixed company here. We were, we were inside in seed form, male seed form. We were in Adam when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned with him. Let me, let me give you some verses. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. I'm going to go through some of these kind of quick like. Is that alright? You might just want to jot down the addresses and you can maybe look them up later. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This is in the, uh, the Garden of Eden. I like to call it the scene of the crime where Adam and Eve had just sinned. God comes in and God, Father, Father God does what He does best. He begins to speak. And among the things that He said were this and I will put enmity between you, speaking to, to Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, capital S. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Our Heavenly Father is so brilliant that He was able to tell us the whole story without revealing the whole story until we had Jesus already back in heaven, and then looking backwards, we see how He was telling us the whole story the whole time. He stood in the Garden of Eden after they had sinned and made clothes for themselves out of fig leaves. The first thing God did was He made coverings for them out of animal skins, and then He began to prophesy. And He prophesied in the Garden of Eden that one day a woman would bring forth a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. Now, if you understand anything about biology and reproduction, it sounds like God doesn't understand His birds and bees because seed doesn't come from a woman. Seed comes from a man that fertilizes the egg of a woman. But God wasn't confused when He said seed because He was talking about the seed of His Son, Jesus. Let's tie this in with John chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus hanging on the cross. When Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved standing by, He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. I offer to you tonight that Jesus was not being disrespectful to His mother. 
But he was recalling what his father said in the Garden of Eden and was identifying Mary as the woman who was going to bring forth the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. He was rubbing the devil's face in it and the devil didn't even know what was going on. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Let's talk about this for a moment. Because God, our Father, He promised all kinds of things to Abraham and to Abraham's seed. Again, seed is like a code word. Seed can mean one or seed can mean a million, right? Amen. It's one of those words that can either be plural or singular. And what people thought and understood for, for thousands of years upon the earth is that when God was talking about seed, He was talking about seeds as to many or as of many. But now we see that all the promises made to Abraham were made to the seed of Abraham, speaking of Jesus as one who came to this earth through the bloodline of Abraham, right? And we see that all those promises were made to the seed, capital S-E-E-D, who is Christ, and now we are heirs of Christ, which means all that God promised to Abraham is now given to you and to me. Same chapter, Galatians 3.19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So again, the promises that we would inherit eternal life, the promises that were made that we would inherit the earth, the promises that all of these things that were made to Abraham that we thought were the physical lineage of Abraham, we see instead that they were actually made to the seed Christ and now as outsiders, we're now in on it. Right? Now, let's go to John chapter 12. I do want you to see this one and we'll finish here. John chapter 12, and we'll begin at verse 23. Thank you, Father. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, John chapter 12, and verse number 23. says this, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. What is Jesus saying? He's the seed, right? My, uh, my grandfather mentioned earlier, he, I guess we call them gardens. You know, it, 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 he had some big ones though. And he would go uh, to the uh, store, I forget what it was there in Bessemer, 
downtown Bessemer in those days. And he would buy the seed to plant. And I just thought for some reason, I don't know, just pray for me, I guess. But they put him in these little brown bags. I, just, I don't know, man. I just, I wanted everything that I owned in a little brown bag. I just thought that was the coolest thing, right? These little brown bags, and they'd be all, you know, just, you know, just almost busting at the seam with seed, and they would fold them down, put a little staple in them, you know. And he had this spot where he kept them, kept them cool, you know, cool, dry, shady place, you know, there, storage place. And, um, I don't know, it's just something about that, just some memories from my childhood. But you realize, let's say it was a little, one of those little brown bags full of okra seed. Am I the only one that likes a little fried okra every now and then? Praise God. Have you ever seen an okra seed, man? You could put enough okra seed in one of them little brown bags to feed the southeastern United States of America. I mean, those things are little, right? Amen. And they produce a big old plant. God's such an amazing God. But as long as those seed remained in those little brown bags sitting up on those shelves, the potential that's within them will never be released. What that seed is capable of doing can only be released if it falls into the ground and dies. If it falls into the ground and dies, it will then have the capacity to reproduce after its kind. And every pot of okra is going to have gazillions of seeds in it to produce gazillions of more okra stalks, okra plants, right? Are you seeing this, this vastness, this abundance of God? Yet, in this case, Jesus is not talking about seeds on the shelf of a farmer, but He's talking about Himself. He's talking about the potential that's within Him. He's talking about Himself as that seed that His Father talked about who would one day come and crush the head of the serpent. And He told His followers, He told those who were closest to Him, He's like, guys, I know there's so much here that you don't understand, but as long as I'm sitting on a shelf what I'm here to do can't be done and the true power that's within me can't be released. But if I fall into the ground and die, I'm going to produce a harvest. And that harvest is right here in front of me tonight. Right? We are fruit of that seed. It's a law that we see established in Scripture and it simply says seed reproduces after its kind. He is the seed from which we were born the second time. That's why it doth not yet appear what we shall be like, but when we stand before Him and see Him, we will be like Him. Can I tell you why you'll be like Him on that day? Because if you've been born again, you are like Him today you were born of his seed. If we could step outside of our bodies right now, there'd be a room full of folks look just like Jesus because we were born a second time 
of his seed. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for what you're stirring up inside of us. Thank you, Father, for what you're helping us connect with. I thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against my brothers and sisters will prosper. I thank you, Father God, that the word that's being planted in their hearts tonight will not be stolen. Because, Father, we understand it. We're putting roots down in this. We'll not allow it to be choked out by other things. And I thank you, Father, that the, that the truth of your word concerning our salvation will produce 30, 60, 100-fold results in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You're loved. Praise God. Good things.